Real well, man. There you are. There you go. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, doing well, dude. I like your background. That's super nice. I appreciate it, man. I'm at my uh, facility here in South Haven, so it's got a cool sign. I was like, I'm going to set up right in front of this. It'll be cool. Perfect, man. Yeah. Excellent. Well, hey, it's good to see you again, man. How's everything been going? Everything's good, you know. Uh, I don't know if you heard, there's this thing called COVID going around. Don't know if you've heard about it, whatever. It, it hasn't affected me at all. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I've, I joke around with people. I've been uh, tw declared twice non-essential. Once, <laughs> once at the gym and once at the college I teach at. I've been <laughs> teaching online. I just finished yesterday. So. What do you teach? History. Really? You're history buff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, That's cool. We got my master's five years ago, and I've been teaching at uh, at the college for two years full time, which is like that. It's, it's, it's not, man. It's something I can do and run the academy pretty much no problem. Man, I had no clue. I thought you were strictly a jits guy, man. So, so who are some big historical figures that you uh, look up to? Who are some of your favorites? Man, some of my favorites. Oh, you know, I'm I'm big time into Egypt. Honestly, I, I took some classes on ancient Egypt. So, um, Tutmosi, any, any, anybody from the Tutmosi dynasty, Tutmosi the third, uh, they call him the Napoleon of ancient Egypt, but man, I have like a wide, uh, interest, uh, range, honestly, but most of my, most of my interest is like present United States history. Um, and that's actually what I teach the least amount of, uh -huh. believe it or not. French revolution. I love Napoleon. Napoleon's okay. one of my favorites. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Your background's pretty hip too, man. I like that. Is that your hey, bedroom? Th well, this is a, just actually I have a podcast studio at my house, but Corey and I got a new, like we bought a new gym. Um, we sold our last location, bought a new 8,000 square foot location two weeks before the close. We, man. but I have a studio there. So I'm actually about uh, somewhat moved out of this one and moved about 70% into the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad and I made a custom podcasting table uh, with like a metal frame and stuff. And uh, yeah. it, it's getting painted today. We're like rhino lining the, the steel on it. So congratulations, but, man. 8,000 square feet. That's huge. Yeah. Well, Hey Bungus. dude, I know, I know you're doing some crazy stuff too. Like I'm trying to owning like what? So this is what, something I was going to talk to you about later is talk about jujitsu, but just talking about like, man, martial arts conversations you you're, you're you're running like multiple fitness kickboxing locations right now is that correct yeah so i own uh, a location in south haven mississippi i own a location in olive branch mississippi and then like you i was going to be opening a third in boulder colorado just before this thing hit i was literally a week away from moving my whole family out there and my wife and i were like you know we should probably take the house off the market and let's just hold up and see how this stuff pans out. And then everything shut down. So it was a good call, but uh, Boulder will be interesting because we just opened up here in Mississippi uh, with restrictions, obviously. But in Boulder, it's going to be a little more interesting because uh, they're closed right now. But I've got a landlord who's being pretty cool so far, but they want to commence a lease. And I'm like, hey, I can't open. You know, there, there's the state won't let us open, but also when you go into a place like Boulder, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's beautiful. It's vibrant. Yeah. But you know, Boulder's kind of got its own type of people. And I don't, I think it'd be very challenging to go to Boulder as, as an unestablished brand 
and say, hey, well, trust us. We're going to keep it clean and all that. You've never heard us, never met us, and you're already scared enough to go to your existing gym, but come see us. Uh, so we're just going to see what we can do, you know. I mean, we'll make it work either way, but, you know, that's, that's on a delay. But Boulder, Colorado will be coming up as soon as COVID allows, and then after that, who knows? Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, see, I heard that you were um, potentially moving because I'd kind of spotted your train with Eric, man, I've known Eric for years. And uh, then, like, I brought it up to somebody. I was like, hey, man, I saw I saw Mark Miller in the picture over there, you know? Like, is he trained, is he trained with you guys? I was talking to, like, Ahmed or, or Joseph or somebody, and they're like, yeah, but he's about to move. And I was yeah. like, oh, that sucks, <laughs> yeah. you know? Well that's what we'd say too, man. I started training at Ingram's in August and I was like, all I've been training in Memphis for what's this, 2019, 11 years. And the last six months of me being here at the time, the, what we thought was the last six months of me being there is when I find the gym where I, I, I don't know, I've probably been the happiest in a long time. Good crew, good, happy people, positive people, good jujitsu. Um, and Eric's like an incredible coach and a good friend too. Man, he's, my he's best such, a, such a nice dude. I mean, he's just salt of the earth. Like, I've never seen him get emotional. I've never seen him get mad. I yeah. mean, I'm sure he is a human being. I'm sure he's got his faults like all of us. But I've never seen that dude treat anybody poorly or anything. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, no, he's uh, a really he's a really good guy. He's a very genuine guy. I have a, I have a a lot of respect for Eric Inger. One of my best friends in the seven eight months I've known him. Or, or I've yes. known him for a long time, but actually been with him on a regular basis. We now we lift together, we train jujitsu together, we hang out together. So, awesome guy, awesome. Yeah, guy. yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, so, like, how did you? And I first met you, figured out who you were at Purple Bell. I remember Carlino and I came over to Memphis doing some gym tours and got to roll with you there and your brother uh, as well and do a couple classes. Um, but like, how did you, when did you start training jujitsu? How did you get involved? So I got, I started training jujitsu in 2008, in February, 2008, typical cliche story. You watch it in MMA and you're like, Oh, I want to do that. Um, and we started training there. Um, and the rest is history, man. I mean, when I first started training, I was single. So, you know, I was training all day, every day outside of my work. I worked in, uh, I worked in a corporate environment at the time. And I just train, 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 train. And uh, that was that, man. And I've loved it ever since, you know. Um, you know, all the way from white belt to blue belt, I was at the same academy at Memphis Judo and Jiu-Jitsu until going to Eric Ingram's. But that's how it started. And I was fortunate to start with my brother, who's my best friend in the world. And we got to develop at the same time. We got promoted. We've been promoted belts every single time. Um, I got stripes ahead of him a couple times. But I think that was just to poke fun at him from our professor at the time. But uh but besides that, I mean, we did it all the, together, and it was really awesome. Like, I'm super fortunate to have my brother because we drill together. We're the best drilling partners for each other. We know the exact tension to give each other. We know each other's game, so the roles are always tough. And, uh, you know, we can push each other and then not take it too personally. Man, I remember, uh, like, we had come to an open mat, Carlino and I, before we left out, and you and uh, – your brother's name's Jeremy, right? That's right. Yeah, you guys were, like, over there drilling, like – crazy like barambola transitions like spider guard and like stuff that i was like secretly working on also and i was like <laughs> and that's a cool thing to have your brother like to be to be your guy you know yeah, like yeah. you can bounce things off of you know it's uh recently in the last 
two years, my best friend started training jujitsu. And even though he's still, uh, he, he's right on board for a blue belt. The only reason I have one is because we're closed, closed down for a little while. But, yeah. um, it, man, it's been so rewarding. This little small amount of time that I've had, like, man, that guy's my bro. You know, it's, yeah. it's a special thing. It really is. For sure, for sure. And if y'all were best friends before, that's even better that you get to introduce that to him because my brother and I, we were close, but jujitsu brought us like really close. I mean, it made it to where we we're near inseparable. As a matter of fact, he's, you know, he's, he made it aware he wasn't happy. I mean, it was going to be tough to leave him going to Colorado. Him uh, and my, some of my family here would be the toughest. A few friends, but mostly my brother probably just because we're so close. Uh, we live five minutes from each other right now. So, I mean, you're talking about, hey, 6.30 a.m. training, yep, I'll pick you up. Are you picking me up? That's like our time to hang out. You know, I've got four children. He's got his first. So, we've got a lot of adulting to do. So, our time away is usually jujitsu and us together. So, it's really cool. And we've got competed a lot, you know. And, you know, when you go to war with your friends, uh, your team, but also your brother and, like, you're, you know, you're cheering them when they're out there fighting and vice versa, you know, it just brings a camaraderie that, that you know it's hard to explain unless you train jiu-jitsu yeah man and man i would i joke around about this but like you know my wife trains and it's it's a weird dynamic because she's a brown belt but it's a real weird dynamic when your wife trains like we i don't say we bicker but like it's just it's interesting we share some of the same things like what you're saying about but then at the same time like she might like take a real hard dig at me while we're on the mat or something it's just yeah it's, a, it's an interesting little dynamic the husband and wife thing yeah. uh, but I, you know, I would i wouldn't trade it for anything though it's did awesome. you have did you have i know you all were i always recognize her your wife's name's cora right? yes, yes yes i always recognized uh you you two together i always assumed you all were together and then kind of just caught the idea you were when you who started training first did you start training together or no i i was training um first and then we started dating and we were together for probably about three years before she started training she started training striking first and then mm. not too long thereafter started training jiu-jitsu so like right when i for opened my own location uh, that is when she's not long after that, she started getting involved, started helping with that. And, um, man, now she's turned it in. She, she it, there's no way that we are doing what we do without her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like she is like a, a major pillar, uh, foundation of the business. Mm. I'm like a pillar. She's like the foundation. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Good women are good wives in our cases. They're uh, irreplaceable, man. My wife is, she definitely brings, she is a pillar. She is the pillar. Uh, she cares for the children. She does all that stuff. Supports me. Man, it's crazy when you can have a wife that supports you 110% too. You realize the tolerance that a wife has that we don't, right? She's got patience like through the roof that I don't have. And I'm like, boy, I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, man. Where you? How many kids do you have? Did you say? I have four. I have oh, four children. Wow. Yeah, wow. I have four children. Okay. I uh, compete at Masters 2 now too. So it's all official, go. bro. I'm officially adulting. There you go, man. And it's so just, weird. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just turned 33 myself. So did you, man? Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what about Masters. And I say Masters too with all all the pride in the world because it's such it's such a tough level to compete at a black belt. At first, interesting jujitsu story. Now that we're on it, uh, so I was really stubborn about going to Masters anything in jujitsu, right? And I was so I was sticking at adult, and I went to an Atlanta Open one weekend as a brown belt. 
and uh, an adult. And I think I was 34 at the time or something. And Quan Barboza was in my division. And Quan Barboza, if you're not familiar with him, he's a check mat guy now. I think he was Carlson Gracie at the time. Um, but I remember standing in the bullpen with him and watching him. And then he just ran through the division. You know, I didn't fight him. I lost in that division. But he ran through the division. And I remember I was like, I think I need to just go ahead and swallow my pride and go to Masters. You know, it's just the levels are different. You know what I'm saying? The levels, you know, but even at Masters too, they're so tough. I mean, you know, some of the fights I've had at Black Belt particularly are way different than any fight I've ever had. Black Belt is a whole new level. And at this level now, you're fighting people that, you know, may have been world champions before or no gi champions before, maybe five, 10 years ago. And now they're fighting Masters two and they're top ranking Masters two and they're going to be hard. Uh, so just an interesting thing to point out about jujitsu was I had to come to terms with that. I was, I think I was fighting the reality of where I was and I was like, oh, I'm 34. I can still hang with these young guys. But the reality is in jujitsu is, you know, if you're not like training at that level full time, all the time, you have no business competing at that level. And I'm sure you've seen it's gotten even better and even more advanced as the years goes. I mean, those guys are 19 years old. They're like purple belts. So it would run me through the ringer. Yeah. I got to be, yeah, man, I got to be like 28 doing IBJJFs and I was like, yeah, I can't turn 30 fast enough. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like 28 at Brown Belt and I wasn't getting, you know, like I wasn't getting really any, like my attributes weren't developing at like a super fast rate. I wasn't just like getting stronger. Like, you know, and maybe I could have been doing things differently, but I was like, dude, this adult division is gnarly. And you're, it's training be, by, you're training by yourself most of the time though. Yeah. I mean, weren't you kind of like heading a gym at purple belt? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And like trying to travel and train and bring people in whenever I could going all over the country to compete. Um, which it was, it was fun. I had fun. I haven't competed, uh, since I got my black belt, mm -hmm. but I competed a man purple and Brown. I competed a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Black's a whole different level. I know that everybody says that, but it's true. It's true. My first, so in IBJJF in Atlanta, when I go to Atlanta, I don't do as well. I haven't been submitted at Black Belt yet. I've lost on points every time, but I mean, you're talking about every win I've had is just a hard win. You know, it's by points or by advantages. When guys are tough, guys don't want to lose. I don't want to lose. So I fight different too. You know, I don't go, I'm not like submission only all the time. It's like, no, Masters two, you got five minutes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna score. I'm gonna take my time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure I win. You know, but uh, it's high level, man. It's tough. I fought some really tough dudes. Probably a black belt Masters two. Um, the toughest guy I've probably fought so far. I've well, I fought. Um, I just fought the guy. He was tough. He beat me. Well, it was a draw. It was submission only, but he beat me. He scored on me. Uh, 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 Rubicalva, Luis Rubicalva. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I fought him. Um, Josh Mancuso, I fought him. I lost to him by two points in Atlanta. I fought some tough dudes, man. Those are the guys that are, like, very good. You know? How, so. What's the bracket size like? Uh, does it get kind of smaller as you go up into the Master 2, or is it, like, just the same number of guys? Uh, I think it just depends on the tournament. You know, if you look at Masters Worlds, the brackets are pretty big. Um, but, like, in Atlanta, I think I would have had to fight three or four times to win usually so what's that 12 uh, i don't know anywhere from 8 to 12 i think something like mm -hmm. that maybe eight more like eight people in a division yeah. have you competed at every belt or did you did you get into it right away yeah i competed from white belt i think my first tournament was a month in uh, in martin tennessee i always wanted to compete i wasn't a great competitor for a long time i think it was 
late purple belt, I was fighting very well. And then early brown belt, I wasn't fighting well. And then late brown belt, and then all through black belt, I feel, I feel I've fought very well. And I think most of it's just the, the mental game. You know, I find myself going out there and not doing what I typically do. You know, I plan too much. And I'd be like, I'm going to go do this, and that's all I'm going to do. I wouldn't be willing to improvise during a match. And then sometimes I do, I do, can we curse? I do, oh, uh, I, yeah. I, I do shit I had no business doing. I do something I don't never do in training just because I was so freaked out mentally. So, you know, I definitely went through my stages of mental, uh, uh, mental um, training, I guess you'd say. But now I fight, I fight very well now. What, uh, was there anybody that like along your journey, like the influences or even outside stuff at jujitsu that kind of helped you arrive at that place? Or was it just the experience of doing it? Man, it's experience, but watching the pros, just watching the pros and how they go out there and how they're, how cool and collected they are, but also confident at the same time. Um, and I will say, uh, you know, nobody in particular, though. I think just watching people and just evaluating my mistakes. You know, I would train so hard. There was one week in Atlanta I lost at Brown Belt, Gi and No Gi, first match, both by submissions. And I was so aggravated because I trained so hard. But both fights, my coach at the time says, uh, you, you weren't fighting your game at all in either one of those. So I trained really hard. But mentally, I wasn't prepared at all. I was, you know, I was thinking, I'm going to go pull this cool slick guard. And I'm only going to do this. This is how the fight's going to go. But the other guy wasn't going to let the fight go that way, you know. But that's all I had thought about doing. So, you know, I, I've quit. I don't strategize too much. I just try to get to where I want to go every time. You know, whatever my game is. I want to pull guard, go daily heva, or close guard. I'm going to try and go there, but I'm not going to force it. I think I used to try and force a lot. Um, and then sometimes, too, learning to be patient. Uh, that that no-gi division that I'm talking about in Atlanta, I got knee-barred, right? And I was doing very well in the fight, but I started thinking this is a boring fight. I'm going to go ahead and open up and start getting a little more creative. When I had no business, when I opened up, my coach was like, no, 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 no. And I tried to go inverted. Uh, you know, I think I went to kiss of the dragon or something, try to look pretty. And I got knee barred. And uh, my coach at the time, Joel Gingry, he didn't talk to me at all for a little while. He was a little aggravated, which I understood. But later he was just like, I have, I don't know why you went away from what you were doing. And it's because I was worried about what the spectators were thinking. I was like, they think this is a boring fight. I don't want to fight a boring fight. I don't care what they think anymore. Uh, Marcos Tinoco, I trained with him for a long time, and he used to tell me, you know, Mark, uh, I don't care about looking pretty. I just want to win. And when I started applying that, I didn't care about anything. An advantage, two points, four points, I don't care. I'm going to win. That's all I care about. I'd prefer to submit, but I'm not going to take a risk and blow a lead when the other guy's doing the exact same thing because the other guys, what happens a lot at Black Belt now is you'll engage with somebody. They're not wanting to give up any space either. They don't want to open up. They don't want to be overly aggressive. They're playing the same game. So if I score, I'm not going to open up so he can play his game, you know, because he's doing the same silly thing, being very reserved, elbows tight, not wanting to open up at all. How's that been in the gym for you over the years? Have you evolved like uh, – do you train like you're going to compete all the time? Or do you like – are you are you like when you're rolls through the week, when you're just like, yeah, I'm just flowing, I'm having fun? Like how, how do you approach that, like being a – being a competitor that's willing to go grind it out for five minute rounds, win, win on points or whatever it takes. Yeah. Like how, how do you get, you know, cause honestly, man, like one of the things I'm more fascinated with is like growing older doing jujitsu. I'm only mm -hmm. 33, but I've had, man, I broke my collarbone. I've had a hernia repair. Um, 
and every little other thing that everybody gets from doing jiu-jitsu. You broke your collar. I don't know anybody else that broke their collarbone in jiu-jitsu. Oh, dude. <laughs> I broke my collarbone. Uh, yeah, I had Eric on the podcast, and I shared the video at the link, but Eric broke his elbow. Did you know that? Yeah. 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 He yeah. was getting – both of us getting judo thrown, by the way. But he was getting thrown, and he put his hand out, like like getting forward thrown, yeah. like a hip-style throw, and it, it broke his elbow. No Ooh. kidding. Now, yeah. I will take that back. I did get my shoulder separated, a small separation one time by Stephen Combs. When I was a blue belt, he chunked me, and he's really good with judo. He was a brown belt. He was a black belt in judo and brown belt jiu-jitsu at the time, and he chunked me pretty hard. Um, but that was that was about it. But um, at, to answer your question, as an adult or growing older in jiu-jitsu, you know, really in the way I train, I just read my body because um, what I find now is if I read my body, maybe one day I train hard, one day I train lighter, one day I may take the day off. I perform better than if I just try to grind it out, grind it out, and be like, oh, it's okay if you're tired. Get back out there. Get back out there. Sometimes it doesn't work, um, especially if I'm working a lot, you know, or I have a lot going on with business, or if I'm doing strength and conditioning with it. I just adjust to where my body has enough time to recover and read it and trust it. You know, I used to try and force myself into a lot of red line training, whereas now I'd say I probably only, I probably 30, 40% of the time will red line. And maybe the rest of the time, I'm about 80% on the mat. I don't think you should redline all the time, especially as you get older. I think you should be able to maintain a good intensity, save the red lines for certain sessions. That way you can, like, avoid injury, especially as we get older. But also uh, your, your, your training is quality. You know, when you get tired, you're under-rested, your timing's off, your technique's off. No different than when you roll, like, 10 rounds. About seven, eight, or nine, the ninth round, your technique starts to suffer because you're so tired. And I think at that point, it's just not a very good idea to continue training because you'll get bad habits. You know, your body will start going, oh, I'll just do this now that I'm tired when, when that's not what your body should probably do. Yeah. Have you always incorporated strength and conditioning as, a, as an element of what you do? Were you physically active before you started doing jiu-jitsu or did you come to one after the other? No, I, uh, I, I've always lifted weights. Um, before I started jiu-jitsu, I, was, I thought I was going to be a bodybuilder. I thought. And by thought, I mean I read all the bodybuilding magazines and took a shit load of creatine and, and ate eight, nine meals a day. And I was a pretty big dude when I started training jiu-jitsu, but when these little guys started beating me up and strangling me, I was like, I probably don't need to be that big. But I've always lifted weights. I love lifting weights. Um, but since training with Eric, I've gotten into CrossFit, and I've learned how to be more dynamic in my weight training and my mobility. I realized how, mo how much mobility I lacked. And uh, so, Eric, that's really taken me to the next level. You know, as a matter of fact, I was telling him I was fight when I fought Luis Rubicalva, you know, I, I lost. He passed my guard, like, in the last minute. And I, and I remember uh, there was a grip that I needed to get to stop it, but I just – I was completely exhausted. You know, he's a very big and strong and just relentless dude. Yeah, he uh, is He is pretty – is he bigger than you or are you guys the same weight? Yeah, so uh, I can't remember what he weighs, but he's a bit – he's a little bit – he's not huge, but he, he's probably got 20 or 30 pounds on me. But uh, mm. both – I think both of our opponents fell out of sub-hunter. And I was like, well, hey, I'll fight him because I'd heard of him. I knew he was good, and I was like, I'll fight him, you know. And uh, he was really, really tough. Um, but anyway, at the end, there was, there was a particular sleeve grip that I needed to keep the pass from happening. And I went to reach for it. I just didn't have, I didn't have any more gas in the tank. He, I was just done. And uh, he completely, he just put so much pressure on me the whole time. And I remember telling Eric after that, I was like, hey, I want to start doing CrossFit. When I started doing CrossFit, I was like, man, I think I could have, 
I think that fight could have been different with the way that Eric's conditioned me now in the training that we do. You know, it's it's quality, the mobility's there, the power's there, the endurance is there. It's just a full spectrum. Whereas before, I would just go into the weight room, lift weights, and then train jujitsu. There was nothing what, like scientific. What is, or what is it? Some of the some of the specific. Um exercises movements training you're doing that you think crosses over that you were missing before is there anything you could target well it, one is it's just being pushed in my conditioning where i would go into atc and just lift by myself um i get pushed but uh, it's the dynamic movements power cleans cleans i love cleans uh you know um and, and really it's it's the programming you know we've got a really good guy named chris baudry who writes all our programming and when, you, when you're able to get in there consistently and the programs he puts together, it just really gets results. You, you become more powerful. You become faster. You move quicker. You're more agile. And my mobility's improved a lot, too. So the position, I've always been a flexible, open guard, barambolo kind of guy uh, from, from the guard. And um, just having that much more mobility, but power in that mobility, right? So, like, now when I make those movements, there's a lot more power to it. I notice jujitsu feels easier. You know, when you like feel strong, you're like, dude, this just feels, feels a little bit easier today. Like, I'm not working that hard. I just feel that way more often. Because when I went to train with Eric, I'll say this, man. One thing, I had trained with Eric two times before that at a JT seminar, JT Torres seminar that he had. And I think he and I had a pretty good role. We were brown belts at the time. And then at Black Belt, we rolled at my gym at Memphis. And I think I, I got the better of that role, right? And, you know... You always say rolling doesn't matter, but in reality, when you roll with another black belt, you're like, yeah, I remember that roll, you know? So when I went to his gym, he was just so much faster and stronger than me, and he put a lot of pressure on me, and I was like, I need to start following those ways, you know? And he really opened my eyes to that. You know who Alan Shade is? I do. Okay, Alan was on the podcast. I don't know if you listened to it, but he was like, yeah, I've submitted Eric six times. Let me go over him real quick. And he's <laughs> like, he's like, I, I have to go over this because like, yeah. man, what, I've rolled with Eric a lot over the years uh, and he does have a special game. He's always been that way uh, since Blue Belt. I was joking mm -hmm. around with him. I, like the first time Cora saw him, he was over to the side. We were going to compete in like a affiliate tournament that we mm -hmm. had every year. And he was doing Uchi Komis, like judo loads. And Cora was like, you have to fight him? And I was like, damn, baby, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah, he's really good. Uh, and, and to piggyback off what Alan told you, um, uh, I know who Alan is. I don't know Alan, but um, uh, I've submitted Eric two times. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know that count, but it's, he's so tough that you just remember. And now too, like when we, he and I roll, there was a time where we were training together and it must've been a month straight. We would roll and one of us would beat the other two zero because usually I'm going to be the guard puller. And a lot of the times, or he, sometimes he pulls too and uh, we'll either sweep or the other will get swept. And then there's no sweep back until the clock's over. We're like two zero, two zero, two zero. So it was a string of just two zeros forever with him. Cause he's just so tough, you know? Um, and we figured out each other's games, but it's really made us so much better. You know, he's made me a lot better. Um, when we're training at full steam, which we're not right now, obviously, but we have competition training and, you know, what it, what it realized, what it made me realize was so in jujitsu, right after I got my black belt, my black belt coach, who I was with white to black, he left the gym, uh, Joel Gingry. So I didn't have a coach anymore. And I was kind of, you know, um, I had a coach in Stephen Combs, but we were kind of, 
collectively coaching all the other people, you know, with Nathan paying. And I wasn't, you know, I headed the uh, comp team in the morning. We do competition training. So I was missing out on being coached. And I really do well being coached. I'm very robotic. If you tell me, hey, 120 hundreds, go, boom, 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 I'm going to do it. And that's where I really wanted to be again. So that was one of the reasons that made me make the decision to go to Ingram's and, and pursue something different is I wanted to be coached again. And when I got coached is when I realized all those bad habits I had picked up. Uh, one that stands out to me is when we would drill, we do pass or sweep drills. You know, I would get in the habit of just accepting a sweep or accepting a pass, right? You know, whereas his guys were like, no, 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 you're going to like have to sweep me. Like, even though you swept me over, you're going to have to hold me for the two or three to get the three point or the two points. And I was in such a bad habit of not doing that, that I was getting frustrated because I sweep guys and like, Oh crap. Oh crap. I'm quitting before I, you know, I would quit early. I'd be like, Oh, he's going to settle because I swept him. I'm the black belt, whatever. None of those guys there do that. So it was really good for me to get back in that environment and realize that, Hey man, you better tighten that stuff up black belt. That is a super interesting situation. That's something that Cora, it's like the fight starts as she hits the, like you sweep her over, she kind of hits the mat and then she's like, oh, I'm not accepting that. Not at all. Yeah. Not even yeah. a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like there's that brief point where you do, they're tipping over and they can't really fight it while they're falling. But man, that's that when you start fighting back, as soon as you hit that wrestler mentality and not being on your back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough training. So we train really hard, man. And they're such good guys, you know. Um, Eric, I can't say enough good things about Eric, man. Eric, Eric Lee, Eric is a fantastic leader, and you can see it in his team, you know, like the team reflects the leadership. He's not, there's no drama over there. There's no uh, shit talking amongst teammates about others. There's none of that. And that's, that's a really good place to be because when you go there, you know that everybody's got your best interest. They're going to support you. I remember uh, I won uh, Nashville Open last year, my first time competing with them as a team. And, um, man, they were at the sideline, the whole squad. I, I think I'd been training with them for three months at that time. And you couldn't tell that I had been training with them for years, you know, the way they were cheering for me when I won. It was, the place was just good. The whole team was going nuts. It was something really special. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome to be a part of, for sure. For sure. Because, uh, you know, and like, is, isn't the gym that you were at forever, that's like the largest gym in North America. Is, isn't that correct? The Memphis Judo Jiu-Jitsu on square footage? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's like 35,000 square feet or something, if I'm not mistaken. It's pretty big. Um, I don't know if it's the biggest. I mean, I've been to uh, – I'm pretty sure – well, I don't know. I don't know about square footage. I'm honestly not sure. But I would assume there's facilities bigger than that, I would yeah. think. You know. It's it's uh, it's very large, though, but I would, I would imagine that um, – there's a lot of folks in there, uh, you know, the, the bigger you get, the more members you get, the more programs you have. I say like the, the, the collective team element gets a little dissegmented. I, mm -hmm. I haven't really experienced, like we still have that very cohesive team atmosphere, even though we just haven't gotten that big. Are you all jujitsu? No, but we, we have like fitness kickboxing. We have a huge fitness kickboxing program, but like, man, because Cora teaches a lot of those classes, and then she's super involved with the martial arts program. She teaches half their kids. Like, it's just, man, the whole gym atmosphere, it's not – everybody's all on the same team. Everybody supports forces, the central location, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, it's it's super nice. How's your fitness kickboxing program doing? Uh, it's good. We're back uh, having classes. We 
haven't we were just about to start a new schedule because now with this location we have four rooms like we have uh two mats on front we have a yoga room and then we have the uh fitness kickboxing room mm -hmm. right so um we're basically we're running double fitness kickboxing classes right now um in the evenings but then we have a morning and noon so we do essentially doing four a day and then we added one saturday class but we're there's, uh, I think, three additional class spots we're going to add when we get a, start coming back a little more, you know? Cool. How many bags do you have? Uh, we've got 22 in the back. And then we cool. have, like, uh, eight up front. So, like, the, the front bags, like, we'll use the kids or kickboxing or boxing. We have a boxing program, so. Cool. What, like, so, yeah, hey, it's like, man, like, tell me, tell me something about, like, what, like, what's your approach with with like the business side of what you're doing like that's something like eric and i always talk we always kind of go off a side conversation about fitness kickboxing uh that is uh people love fitness kickboxing that mm -hmm. is one of our most popular programs people love doing it with cora but we have many instructors it's our like our most popular adult program yeah yeah like, well, what's your what's your approach to it is basically what i'm not asking well i mean the approach is just it's no different than any other business. You just have to bring a, a substantial, like a, just a high, 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 high quality product at a very affordable price and, and push it at mass, you know? So we, the cool thing about fitness kickboxing is your market is very large. You know, you can be young, you can be old, you can be male, you can be female and you're going to get something out of it and you can participate. Right. Whereas things like CrossFit or jujitsu tend to be more of like cult following type things. Like you really want to be into it. Jujitsu, maybe not so much because you know, you'll get some older guys, maybe some older ladies that'll come in and do it. But fitness kickboxing, I mean, literally anybody of any age or any fitness background can come in and do it and get a benefit that can change their life. So from a business perspective, that's a great model, but you can have a great model, but not execute well. And I'd say that me working at O'Reilly Auto Parts for 13 years, I was a district manager for many years. I was in corporate, the corporate side of business and I worked under a lot of good guys. I learned about building culture. I learned about running an efficient business, uh, quality systems, eliminating systems that didn't benefit the business. So you're not bogged down in a bunch of needless work um, and hiring and training high level team, team members um, and setting high standards. And you put all that stuff together and things just kind of happen. You know what I mean? And then you just start inspecting what you expect. Um, I've got a team of just high level people um, and that know that, they're, they're proud of what we do because of the standards I've set and the standards that I won't let them fall below. So over time, everybody just, they, when you have that environment and that kind of cohesiveness, everybody on the team is proud of what they do. They're proud of the gym. They're proud of working at TFK. So everything they come with is high quality, you know, whether it's the work they do or just now we had to move some bags, another gym. They're like, Hey, let's hang out. Let's move bags. Let's get it. Let's do it. You know? So everybody takes pride in that. You know, when you have, when you build a team of high level people, like they, they want to work for somebody that's going to push them and going to keep them in check and performing at a certain, at a certain level, because, you know, I'm sure you've had it when you work, I don't know how long you've worked or you've worked for yourself, but when you work for somebody and maybe they're kind of a pushover or they don't work that hard or they're not like the most honest person, you're, you're like, eh, you know, you don't give so much, but when you have a boss that like pushes you and expects you to perform at a level because they know you're capable, but they're not going to accept any less out of you, it makes you, it makes you 
it makes you work a little differently, you know, and it makes you believe in them as your leader, especially when you see them at the front, as opposed to just kind of pointing from the back. So, man, that's so tr like being in higher education for two years now, I went from, so I started, uh, out in business in 2012. So I didn't have a boss or right? I worked for the university a little bit part-time while my, my business was getting up and going. But like when I went back into having a boss, so to speak, who's like, a 60 year old lady and she's she's that first example you were talking about right and it's yeah. just it's not it's not really inspiring you know I, and but like that high level of man somebody that's got your best interest they want you to be pushing it learning evolving that is uh i flourish under those same same kind of circumstances but i'm also a big self-starter self-motivator so i kind of don't really need her to dude i can tell how many podcasts are you doing a day you're you're staying really busy on this uh i've been doing a couple i always have like eight or ten that like i'm editing everything myself so there's like a lag on when i get episodes out sometimes you know uh -huh. so but it's um it's been good honestly like i'm i'm building my online classes right now we're basically higher ed may never have as many face-to-face -face classes as we, just, we were just having so uh but really like they were like go home and teach your classes from home i was like all right i'm really set up to do that guys no problem here thank you <laughs> let me know if you need anything your, your students are going to think you drop acid with all those posters in the background <laughs> i know one of my students sent me an email and they're like dude your studio is so sick bro because this is where i record my lectures too so. he offered you some shrooms or something <laughs> <laughs> oh man well so like what um you mentioned building a team right like that's something that we have an incredible team of instructors and man i i've had to i i wouldn't say like i, I like started off doing this because i have like all these strong leadership capabilities it's like i more so had to like rise to that occasion and develop as a leader and that's a constant process for me like i i don't think that it's like it's not something it's like a cross to bear for me a lot of times like it's like a, a, a maybe a weakness but at the same time i'm always consuming material or trying to talk with my team members uh what are some things that you do with your people like what's your approach to like creating what you just talked about with that culture well first first you were you were talking about you know um you're always evolving yourself that's like non-stop okay and, I, and i'm i'm only going to speak on things that i know i'll never be like oh the guy that's got it all figured out but what i can tell you is man constantly evolving is so important because you're going to come across situations that you're not sure how to handle and you'll figure it out and it may go good it may go bad but as long as you adjust moving forward that's going to be huge right so but in regards to my team you know i just try to find people that seem to be of high character, you know, good, genuine, caring people. They don't like to hurt people's feelings. They don't like to talk a lot of shit about people. Um, they don't seem to be uh, overly uh, inconsiderate of people's feelings. I like people that care about people because this is a caring business. You know, we don't just, we're not like, you know, hey, come do kickbox class, go home, pay your fee. You know, this is a place where, you know, I, I, was, I was talking to some I'll back up real quick. I was watching the mayor. I've been watching the mayor, or excuse me, the governor a lot whenever we were closed. Like, when are we going to open, right? And I would see the comments. And one person said, hey, listen, governor, please open the gym soon. My, my anxiety and my, my stress are, are getting to be overbearing. I can't take it very much longer. 
And this lady comments and goes, oh, please calm down. Why don't you just work out at home? There's plenty of, there's millions of workouts at home. Stay at home, keep everybody safe. You know, virtue signal, keep everybody safe. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but that's the thing that people don't understand. And this gym here, you know, this is the only social interaction a lot of people get. Um, in a place like this, it took a lot of people a life-changing step just to have the confidence to walk in here and get past their insecurities or their, their self-image issues or the fact that maybe their husband's a, an asshole at home and this is the only place they have to escape for the hour that they come in here and the friends that they have to interact with. So you have to be very empathetic to that as to what you provide, which is much more than just a kickboxing class. You're providing, you know, some sort of mental relief, stress relief, anxiety, uh, some, some anxiety relief, and, and maybe could very well be the happiest part of people's day. So when you think of it that way, it, it's going to affect the way that you perform as an instructor, but also the way as you mingle with your members, right? Hey, how are you? Tell, how, how'd that test go? Congratulations on this. Or, you know, last time we were talking, you were struggling with this. If you really care, you know, they're, they're going to pick up on that. But if you, if you kind of fake the funk, that's easy to read too. So I want to find those genuine people that really care about others. Because when you do, you'll see them just kind of fall in place here. And you'll see how they treat the members. And this place is very important to the members. You know, we had, uh, you know, you know, we just, we have a bigger role to fill than just fitness. I'll just say that, you know, just like you do what jujitsu, right? You know, you don't train jujitsu. You don't go train. You start to, it starts to mess with you a little bit. I missed all my jujitsu bros. And I know when I start getting on the mat with them again, I'm like, man, I missed you guys. And my life is going to have somewhat of a little bit of a, an improvement to it from a mental aspect that I forgot about, you know, but some other people don't have a happy ha home life. Some other people don't have those things outside of the gym to go to. This might be the only place. And for however long we were on lockdown, they lost that. I had a member cry to me because she didn't think that she got a reservation in time. Because we, we had to reserve bags uh, initially due to social distancing and stuff. And I wanted to make sure all the members got a chance to work out. I had a lady that really cried about it, you know. And, you know, some of her friends kind of told me some backstory on it. I was like, man, this was that serious to her that she, the first week she didn't get in and she'd missed it so much and it had been so tough on her mentally and, and from her self-image, uh, from, from the point of her self-image that it really upset her that she didn't get in here, you know. Man, we've, uh, we've had the limit. Not, we haven't had that with fitness kickboxing yet, but uh, hot yoga, our yoga mm -hmm. studio, uh, the yoga room's big. But uh, like we only, the instructor only wants like a dozen people in there. So it's, you know, we have to do the register ahead of time. And it's, uh, I hate to like turn it, the idea of turning anybody away right now. It's like what you're talking about because uh, it's people need that social interaction. For sure. For sure, man. So, but when you build a team that understands that and maybe has experienced that in some way or another, right? You know, you might have a, you know, you've got people that have their own stories and they're relatable to the members that come in here. It just builds that it just builds that community and it builds a long-term commitment from your members to where you just start recycling members. You want to build members that are with you for a long time, but you have to work very hard to service them. You know, everything we do, we're driven with customer service and we don't half ask anything. It's so easy. And I see it a lot, man. I see a lot of gyms, particularly fitness kickboxing gyms. They just, Hey, throw up some bags. We're going to do this, do that. Just throw an instructor in there. It doesn't matter. Just tell them to punch the bag. Uh, don't worry about the quality of the class. Don't worry about, the nitpicky cleanliness of the gym unless COVID's around now everybody's about a clean gym look we were COVID we were COVID proof before COVID was here you know um you know be flexible in your terms work with people um you have to be that way year round year round and it takes a lot of work 
But when you do all those things, all those small things from time management within your team to the little things you do for your members, the small improvements, the extra work you put in to be a better trainers to improve your class format, um, that stuff compounds. And that's what compounds to a very successful business. I mean, we were very, we were in a very, very good financial position before this happened. So I didn't lose a wink of sleep before when this COVID thing happened. I was more aggravated than anything that I couldn't control my business. But, um, and we had a lot of members that, that said, look, we have no interest in canceling our membership. We're going to support you through this. So, you know, it, all, it pays off in the end, man. But all those little efforts, those micro efforts just compound into something that's very big and you just keep your nose to the grinder and it happens. I mean, I've been going at this just over two years now with a third location. So, you know, it's, it's proof in the pudding, man. Just, just keep it, you know, uh, rinse, wash, and recycle. Was it hard for you well, to rinse, wash and whatever? I don't know what to say. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm picking it up. What, was it hard for you? So you say you work this other job for like over 10 years, right? Was it hard for you to make that jump into being hell an entrepreneur? No. Hell no, man. It was my, it was my, my, a spot. It was my dream. Right. Um, but it took some work. Like I was, uh, yeah, I was there for 13 years. So September, 2017, I opened my gym here in South Haven in March, 2018, I left the company. Um, but that first while was corporate America all day, my gym at night. So I didn't see my kids or my wife a lot, but we knew what the goal was, you know? So we, and we knew if we worked right, it wouldn't take too long. It happened a lot quicker. I thought I'd have to wait a year or so to leave my job, but things popped off so well, shit worked so well. Uh, I was able to leave after seven months. So I was very fortunate with that. But I'll say this too, you know, Rolly Delgado made a really good point to me not too long ago. He and I talked from time to time about business and just life. And I think it was on one of his live streams. I was asking him a question. He said, Mark, you know, a lot of people might think that you're an overnight success. He's like, but what they don't understand is all the prep work that you did. Right. And what he means by that is, so when, back when Rolly owned a pawn shop, you know, he's always been an entrepreneur. Yeah. I used to hit him up and say, Hey, I want to come train, but can I come, take you out to lunch or can I come sit with you at your pawn shop and just pick your brain? Or um, like you said about evolving, I watch YouTube videos. I learn, 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 you know? And um, so you're talking about years of learning and ups and downs, you know, from where I was like, Oh, I'm making progress to I'm sitting in my car crying to my wife and telling her I ain't done shit and how disappointed I am in myself as a father and a provider. So, you know, it was like, you know, I'd say five, six strong years of just trying to figure it out ups and downs ups and downs and finally it popped and and i think just all that energy that was pent up over learning and and getting more disciplined and understanding business and and striving is why this business took off so so fast i think it was just all that pent up energy of working 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 and learning so there's just that prep work and that's kind of what i experienced like when i finally got out of college that's when we exponentially just blew forward and just every year in business grew and grew and grew and grew to this point where we're at now. Now I'm just like, it's, it's, it's weird. I kind of joke around with people because it's like, well, all I wanted to do is quit my job to teach martial arts full time. And then I was like, well, I'm still going to teach martial arts full time, but I want to teach college full time too. And now I just want to do this podcast also. <laughs> so like this, like my third big thing in life, I've really been putting a lot of energy into and working on and like honestly putting the same type of 
energy like what you're talking about the same sort of pent-up energy i had in my gym and i had in trying to become a professor like it's the same thing for this podcast it's been a couple years of uh in the making you know that's so interesting man most people that do jujitsu are like man i want to have a jujitsu gym own jujitsu i have absolutely no interest in ever teaching jujitsu full-time i want to be i would just love to be coached forever i like to coach and train coach and train i have no I, i like teaching classes from time to time but I would much rather just come in and do my job and go home, you know, man, we're getting to, I did a class in my own gym yesterday. Right. Uh, I, uh, one of the very first guys that we'll give a bite belt to, he's uh, about to be 50 Jeff Woods. He's been trying with me for, he was my, one of my college history professors forever. I worked for, yeah. him. but, um, yeah, he teaches the noon program and, uh, he's a four tip brown belt, but he taught a class yesterday and it's like, man, it's it's nice to go to a class in your own gym Heck when yeah. you have to, like, facilitate all the classes. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's nice to be trained. It's nice just to be tunnel vision and just focus on the job and drill, 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 and train and not have to come up with a class format and drill. Because and, it's such a responsibility to teach people jiu-jitsu. It's a big responsibility because it comes with a lot of weight. You can go in and just show basic techniques, but if you want people to get good, you have to put time, you have to show the details, you have to critique, you know, a lot of professors or coaches, you know, I think professors is a term that shouldn't be used too often, but they'll just like tell you something and then they're chatting with somebody or they're walking around and not paying attention to everybody. You have to be focused on your students and like look at every detail if you want to make sure it works, because if you're going to show something that goes in after that, everything before has got to be right. And you sure, sure as shit can't jump past and be like, all right, guys, we're going to, we're going to work on, you know, I don't know, whatever, Baron Bolo's today. But it's like, but the guy didn't even know how not to get his guard passed. Or he doesn't even know how to pass a guard, you know? So you've got to be able to, to understand where everybody's at, too, and make sure that you, you progress them, uh, you know, in an efficient manner. Yeah. Well, man, how many buy belts are over at Eric's now? You guys have got, or not even just buy belts. You guys have an incredible upper group of dudes forming, I feel like. Yeah, man, there. for sure, man. Even the lower belts are good. Uh, Amit just got his black belt. So the black belts, it's me, my brother, Eric, of course, and Amit. There's four of us. Yeah, it was just Eric until my brother and I went over there. And then uh, Amit. And then brown belts. I don't know if we have any brown belts on that game we got promoted. We got a lot of, you know, we got Peter U at Purple Belt, who he's Braden. Uh, Braden's very good. Um, you know, uh, we've got good guys. I mean, blue belts are tough there too, man. We've got some tough blue belts. Yeah, tough man, I'm going to, I'm going to have a few more of the guys. Uh, Joseph's going to come on the podcast. I talked to him about it. Probably have Amit come on and, you know, Joseph's all those guys, all those guys are great dudes. So. They are, man. I love those guys so much. They're so cool. Yeah. Well, bro, um, man, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come and chat with me on the show. And Dude, I, the pleasure was mine, man. I appreciate it. And I, I, I appreciate what you're doing, man. You're hustling. I think I like that. I think it's cool. I like what you got going on. Thanks, man. And you've come up on the podcast at least a couple of times. I, like, Chris, the foot, that foot on the face sweep I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that just randomly came up in one episode. We were talking about something related to weird <laughs> And then uh, with that one you messaged me about, I think Clay Mayfield and I uh, yeah. maybe, br- maybe brought you up. But, man, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's uh, always looked up to you. It's been a pleasure, uh, you know, rolling, rolling with you over the years a couple of times I've got to and have kept up with you and wish yeah. you the best, man. Pleasure of mine, man. Thank you so much. All right, bro. Have All a good right. day. Have a good weekend. Take care. You too, bro. See you, dude.